Seven Studios. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network. Paragon Seven Studios. So I'm reading this from CNN.com. The title of this article, and this is this is not Lance J's opinion because I don't I don't manufacture the news, I report the news. But the title of this article written by John Blake from CNN, there's nothing more frightening in America today than an angry white man. We about to get into it. I'm about to lose all my sponsors today. The Brute, The Buck, and of course, The Thug. Those are just some of the names for a racial stereotype that has haunted the collective imagination of white America since the nation's inception. The specter of the angry black man has evoked in politics, has been evoked in politics and popular culture to convince white folks that a big, bad black man is coming to get them and their daughters. Lord have mercy. I gotta pause. I've seen viral videos of innocent black men losing their lives because of this stereotype. I've watched white people lock their car doors or clutch their purses when men who look like me approach, and I've been racially profiled. Now I'm gonna pause right there. I've told this story before, but not since we've been on Urban One. When I was when I was a VP at Blue Cross, when I first moved to Phoenix, before I got a nice house out in Anthem. If you've ever, if you ever Google my show, I used to podcast the show way back in the day from, from my house in my pool in my backyard in Anthem. Those were the good old days. I lived in this really nice apartment complex down at the Biltmore, which is a very upscale neighborhood bordering Scottsdale in Phoenix, Arizona. So off a of Camelback Road. It's right across the street from the, the place I live was right across the street from the Biltmore Fashion Place, one of the nicest neighborhoods, really literally one of the nicest neighborhoods in the country. And I lived on the top floor. I was blessed. Had arrived in my career, driving a Range Rover. And lived on the top floor and often would be coming home from work. Late in the evening, wearing a suit and tie. And I would get on the elevator with people that lived on the floor for me. My, my, my literal neighbors. I would get on the floor with my neighbors. And this would happen at least once every few months. I would be on the, I would be on the elevator with somebody that looked at me as if I did not belong there. And they would clutch their purse. And there have been times where I've actually called people out on it and said, lady, I don't want to rob you. I live four doors down the hallway from you. And even if I did want to rob you, I probably, you can think that I'm a thug, right? You can, you can think that I'm scum. But give me a little bit of, of credit for having some common sense. There are three cameras in the elevator. And I live right down the hallway from you. So if I were to rob you, it's very probable that the police would get the tape 
They'd be like, we recognize him. His face matches all the other tapes. He's parking his car here every day. We're just going to go to his apartment. We're going to arrest him. I don't have tattoos. Not to say that if you have tattoos, there's something wrong with that. I don't have a tattoo tear. I didn't look like a thug. My laptop was literally, anyone that knows me knows that I carry a Louis Vuitton laptop bag everywhere that I go. So I'm looking at people, I'm like, I have, I have a, 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 an LV laptop bag. I'm probably not going to rob you, but that's the mentality. That someone that looks like me, that's my height, that's my weight, that's bald. It doesn't matter if I'm wearing a black tee and some Timberland boots. Or if I'm wearing a suit and some Gucci loafers. I'm the enemy. So back to the article. It's part of the psychological tax. I love, I love it when, when, when black people write stuff well, man. It just, it just sends chills down my spine. It's part of the psychological tax that you pay for being a black man in America, learning to accept that you are seen by many as public enemy number one. But I've watched three separate trials about white male violence unfold across the United States these past few weeks. The Kyle Rittenhouse trial, the Ahmaud Arbery death trial, and the civil case against the organizers of the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville come to a sobering conclusion. There is nothing more frightening in America today than an angry white man. It's not the radical Islamic terrorist that I fear the most, nor is it the brown immigrant or the fiery Black Lives Matter protester or whatever the latest boogeyman is that some politician tells me I should dread. But it's encountering an armed white man in public who has been inspired by the white men on trial in these three cases. Now, I'm not a big fan of CNN. I, I rip CNN all the time. I think the CNN is a major part of the problem, not a part of the solution, but they were spot on. The gentleman that wrote this was, was, was spot on. And as an African-American male and a successful African-American male and a tall, thick, burly African-American male, I know what it's like to be profiled. And I know what it's like for people to think that I'm going to do something nefarious to them. And I know what it's like to be driving around and be followed by police for no reason. I was in Tucson, Arizona. Somebody told me that I stole, stole my own car. Said your car has been reported stolen. And I said, sir, I don't think that that's possible because this is my car. And so the person said to me, well, can we, can we see your registration? Not only can you see my registration, Mr. Policeman, you can see the title that verifies that I bought this car basically in cash. So not only, not only is the car registered, I own the car outright. I'm, there's, there's no loan. I'm not paying Capital One. I'm not paying Chase Manhattan. I own the car. But once again, for us, the justice system is so much different I would like to say that I was surprised that, that Kyle Rittenhouse got off last week, but I wasn't surprised. And when people started texting me and people were angry and I got 10, 15 texts saying when the, when the verdict came in, my EKG was a complete flat line because I was expecting him to get off. Everything that the case and the judge and, and the whole media, the, the, the whole tenor of the situation all pointed to Kyle Rittenhouse getting off. 
And unfortunately, I'm very fearful that you're going to see the same results in the Ahmad Arbery trial. I think that's the trial that I've been a little bit more interested in. If you if you are an HLN and you're following the testimony of the various people involved in the Ahmad Arbery trial, where where literally the the gunman and the gentleman that that followed. Now it's one thing, it's one thing to kill somebody. Right, it's it's one thing to kill somebody because you think that they're a a trespasser. You think that they, you think that supposedly they found him there a few weeks earlier, and and he grabbed for his waist, like he had like he had the burner on him, which is obviously a lie. But if you were chasing someone, and you were chasing someone with your car, and they were running away. These people had the audacity to say that the guy driving the car had the audacity to say that that he was afraid that Ahmad Arbery was going to track him down and jump into his car and do something harmful to him. And that's the genesis of the lynchings and the genesis of slavery and the genesis of genocide and the genesis of all of these terrible atrocities being committed, not just to African-Americans, but to cultures globally. We have to proactively enslave or kill or harm or do stuff to them because we fear them. And if people like the, the three individuals that killed Ahmaud Arbery and, and the Kyle Rittenhouses of the world, if they continue to get away with it, the, the mentality for Kyle Rittenhouse, we, we forget he's not even supposed to be able to have a gun. I'm a big I'm a big gun advocate. So I'm not I'm not with the Occupy Democrats, Carol. You're not gonna see me on Facebook commenting on the Occupy Democrats foolishness about guns and how we should abolish guns and you should have to go through all these jumps, jump through all these hoops and all of this stuff to get a gun in the United States. The only thing, in my opinion, the only thing that protects this country from absolute tyranny is the fact that there are four hundred million gats sitting out there in living rooms and basements across the country. Otherwise, people could just roll in the tanks and say, hey, you do what we tell you to do. I was just in D.C. last week in Baltimore. I was on the west side of Baltimore. I was on Pacer Street, back in my old stomping grounds where I, where I grew up as a little kid. And, and in the words of Chris Rock, it would, take, it would take the federal government several, it would take the federal government longer to roll the tanks into Baltimore and fight a war in Baltimore than some of these Middle Eastern countries. Because so many people are armed and so many people, obviously in bad neighborhoods, is used for crime and gangs and all of that stuff. But I'm, I'm very big on guns and safety and your Second Amendment rights. And if Kyle Rittenhouse lived in Wisconsin and if Kyle Rittenhouse was of legal age to own those firearms, I would have his back 100%, even though I abhor his politics, but he shouldn't have been there in the first place. And he shouldn't have been armed in the first place. So it's the whole premise of, I drove to you. I illegally obtained a firearm. I was brandishing that firearm, but you were the threat to me. I followed Ahmad Arbery. I chased him down. We had rifles and then we taped it. We had the audacity to tape it. They taped this thing like O-Dog in Menace when O-Dog in Menace to Society shot the, the store owners in their neighborhood, while well, they were there to get a 40. They were there to get a St. Ives 40. O-Dog shot 
the, the store owners and was showing the tape to AWACS and all of the rest of the Chauncey, all the rest of the crew or menace to society, that's basically what this was. They taped it. They enjoyed it. They wanted to hurt him. They wanted to scare him. If someone was running away, why? The, the, even the prosecutor said, well, if he was running away, why, why not let him run away? Because it was a lynching. Because these angry white men, like CNN says, these people believe that they have a right to take their anger out on anyone that stands in their way. And when they take their anger out on someone that stands in their way, they're actually defending the culture. They're defending America. They're patriots. They're heroes. Because at the end of the day, and of course this doesn't pertain to all people of Caucasian descent. I don't think it pertains to most people of Caucasian descent. But there's a war going on. It's a spiritual warfare where there's a significant cohort of people in this country. They see America getting darker and browner and more diverse, and they can't stand it. And they're angry about it. They see, they see themselves losing position, losing stature, losing power, losing money, losing land, losing opportunity. And you have these, these bursts of rage and of anger. And whoever is in the cipher of these individuals, whoever, whoever is in a radius of these people when they ex explode, their lives are in danger. And we have to address it in the United States of America. And I love this article that CNN, that CNN put up because it really personifies what's going on with, what went on with the Rittenhouse trial What's going on with the Ahmad Arbery trial? What's going on with the Charlottesville trial? And what will be going on with the continued trials of, of, of people that, that tried to infiltrate the United States of America and hang the Speaker of the House and even the Vice President, which was in their own party in effigy? Lance J. Show. James Lewis. Shout out to all them guys, man. Rashid Wallace, you know, you know, Katino Mobley, you know, um, Sean Red Smith, Terrell Stokes, you know, all of those guys. A lot of them are um, Philadelphia legends when it comes mm -hmm. to the basketball. Right. You know, but I drop real numbers on them. <laughs> so what would that make me? <laughs> Rampage, the first lieutenant of the Universal Flipmo Squad. Are you jamming people up? Are you crossing people up? All of that. Are you? Is all of the above? Yeah, I was. I was um, similar to Iverson. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network. This is Lance J, aka the Paragon of Sports Talk Excellence, aka the Heisenberg of Broadcast Radio, aka the Wolf of Wall Street. Listen to the Lance J Radio Network weekdays at 7 p.m. on Urban One's flagship 1450 WOL in Washington, D.C., and presented by our partners at Episource, the industry leader in healthcare analytics and Medicare Advantage quality products. Oh,
People in D.C. don't care about Ohio State that listen on Urban One. It's all going to learn today. I know that Maryland is a Big Ten rival. We continue, so, so shout out to everybody that's, that, that listens to the show. We're getting a lot of love. We're getting a lot of love with Urban One. We're looking to expand the show into, into hopefully different markets and, and pick up more time and, and maybe change our time slot in in 2022. We got to get we got to get all of that set up with the with the leadership over at Urban One. Just some some fantastic people. But you're going to put some respect on my Ohio State Buckeyes name. Now, I said, I've said repeatedly that I was not impressed with the Ohio State University football team. And, and that obviously shows that I don't know anything about sports. That's why I'm not in sports full time anymore. That's why I'm talking about healthcare, which is actually something that I know about and can, and can prognosticate about consistently. But it felt so good to see my Ohio State Buckeyes absolutely beat the brakes off of Sparty. Now, the dynamic in the Big Ten, Sparty's always been a team. So, so, so Ann Arbor Community College, and this is this is Michigan week. It's a short week for me because of Thanksgiving, but this is Michigan week. Usually, I would be making fun of Ann Arbor Community College and, and Coach Khaki. And calling the big house the little house and, and those ridiculous looking maize and blue winged helmets. And the fact that Michigan is slow and plodding and, and they look they look like an old Midwestern corn fed farm boy team. Whereas Ohio State is sleek and dynamic and, and full of playmakers on both sides of the ball and, and probably has 11 or 12 or 13 guys to start for them that are going to play in the league. They have three receivers that are going to be in Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, they have three receivers that are going to be top 15 picks in the NFL when they come out. Even Fleming and Harrison, Marvin Harrison Jr., is, a, is the, he has pretty good DNA, right? That's, that's Marvin Harrison's son. Hall of Famer, Indianapolis Colts. He's their fifth or sixth receiver on the team. Even Ohio State, even Williams, the day they went, went to Alabama's and Alabama's best receivers. Ohio State throws away people like Joe Burrow, who ends up winning a Heisman's number one pick. Uh, we don't really need you. You're like the fourth quarterback on our, on our depth chart. So I'm feeling myself and I'm smelling myself about the Ohio State University. And I enjoyed that thrashing. Sparty usually stands up to Ohio State and, and their coach. I love to see, I love to see a, a, a black man, especially in college football, where there are not enough African-American coaches. I love to see their coach get, get his guap. So to see Mel Tucker get what I believe is the largest deal in, in college football history. I think he's getting like a, he's getting 100 M's to coach Sparty. And if you're Sparty, they had Nick Saban, and they let Nick Saban go, and he went to LSU, won a chip, then he went to Miami, and then he went to Alabama, has won, uh, I think, six national titles. 
Maybe if they had thrown money at at Nick Saban, the the course of history would have been changed. I don't think it would have been. I don't think you can win national titles at Michigan State because it's Michigan State. It's in East Lansing. Nobody wants to go there to play football. If I was a young athlete and I had a six-pack and I had a 45-inch vertical, I can darn sure tell you that I wouldn't be spending my winters in East Lansing, Michigan. I'd be going to Ohio State if I was elite, I'd be going somewhere in the South. Ohio State's the only team in the North that I would go. Maybe Michigan. Michigan has a national network. But I'd be going to Oregon to suit up for, for Nike U. I'd be going to Florida State. I'd be going to Florida. Man, <laughs> Dan Mullen over the weekend. I knew that Dan Mullen was going to get fired when he gave up. He gave up 50 points to like Prairie View or some school, some school, some scrub school that they played that's not even a D1 school. You, you can't give up 50 points to some non-D1 school to like an HBC. I don't even remember the name. You, you can't do that and, and keep your job at Florida. Like Florida is not a school. You can't go four and eight at Florida under any circumstance. I don't care how many probations you could be on. I don't care if you had uh, Anthony Hernandez down there, down there killing people, being a serial killer, like when Herb was down there. You just you just can't have that. So back to back to Michigan week for for Ohio State. Sparty in their DNA generally is not afraid of of Ohio State University, but they don't they don't have the NFL bodies. They don't have the talent. It's hard to compete. When you look at when you look at the 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 rankings and you look at the Cincinnati's of the world, you look at some of these schools, really perennially, there are only a few schools that have enough NFL talent to compete year in, year out. Of course, you got Alabama. Of course, you got the Ohio State University. Clemson is a Johnny come lately. I think that Clemson kind of got lucky. They stumbled across Deshaun Watson, who's still not playing. In the NFL, and then they stumble across Trevor Lawrence. And the funny thing about, about Jesus and Cleats, Mr. Sunshine himself, when he's playing with the Jacksonville Jaguars and he doesn't have five guys on his defensive line, four guys that are all going to be starters in the NFL, and he doesn't have the elite offensive line, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence has looked quite pedestrian. I don't, I don't see the media really getting on him about that either. Giving him a free pass. Trevor Lawrence isn't all that great. I don't see John Elway. I don't see even Andrew Luck in him. That's another discussion for another day. Clemson always has elite talent. LSU always has elite talent. USC usually has elite talent. And that's about it. You got your Auburns, your Oklahomas, your, your Texas A&Ms. They got, they got talented people, but they don't. When Ohio State lines up, they have more talent on both sides of the ball than everyone they play unless they're playing Alabama. When Alabama lines up, they have more talent than anyone. When LSU lines up, they have more talent than anyone. Go, go to NFL. Go look and see how many people are in the NFL. Florida always has talent. But Ann Arbor Community College does not fall into that talent base. If you look at Michigan, they lack perimeter speed. If you look at their back seven, you look at their DBs, you look at their safeties, you look at their linebackers. Ohio State's corners, and Ohio State's defense isn't all that great. They're getting better. 
and they're playing a lot more press zone and they're keeping everything in front of them. And if you have that offense and you have the ability to score like Ohio State does and you have the talent on both sides of the ball and the coaching and you have C.J. Stroud, who's kind of a dual threat quarterback, and I ripped him. I didn't think he was all that good at first, but I was definitely wrong. It's going to be hard for Ann Arbor Community College to hold Ohio State under 30 or 40 points. So then the question is, do they have the ability to move the ball? Can they throw the ball? Can they run the ball? And we'll find out. I'm not going to gloat and I'm not going to be arrogant about it because I've been wrong about every prediction pretty much in sports this year. I said the bullets would suck and the bullets are off to their best start in, in my adult life. <laughs> I said Ohio State would suck. Ohio State might win the national championship. And I said that my Colts sucked. And my, and my Colts put an absolute thumping on the Buffalo Bills over the weekend. And Jonathan Taylor is looking at, like a legitimate MVP candidate, looking like the best running back in the NFL. So I'm going to sit this one out prediction-wise with Ann Arbor Community College. I just think... Ohio State has a superior roster. Ohio State has a better quarterback. They have better running backs. They have better offensive line, better defensive line, better corners, better safeties, better cheerleaders, better coaches, better fans, better uniforms, better stickers on the helmet, better stadium. Everything Ohio State has is superior to scum, lowercase SC, capital U-M. AKA Ann Arbor Community College, AKA TTUN hashtag, that team up north, AKA Little Brother. But we forget Michigan's playing for sub to two. Michigan is coming into this game 10 and 1. It's at the big house in Ann Arbor. And if Michigan, who has been basically Ohio State's concubine for the last 20 years, since the, since the day that Jim Trestle showed up at Ohio State and said at an Ohio State basketball game, you will be proud of our students on the field and in the classroom. And in 286 days or however many days it was at Ann Arbor when we played Michigan, that rivalry has not been a rivalry. I think if I think officially Ohio State's like 19 out of 20 or 19 out of 21 against Michigan. But I'm not going to be cocky and arrogant. I think it's going to be a heck of a game because Michigan has a lot to play for. If Michigan wins this game, they are very likely going to beat either Iowa or Wisconsin, and they're going to go to the playoff. And this year is wide open because I think Georgia's going to beat the brakes out for Alabama. So you got the bully on the blocks, not going to make the playoff. I don't know how good Georgia is. They haven't played anybody. They beat everyone 41 to nothing, but they haven't played anyone. So Michigan's playing for a lot. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to show respect. I'm going to respect Michigan and think that they're going to come out. They're going to play inspired football. They're playing for something. Their fans are going to be loud and rabid. I think Ohio State's the superior team. But that's, that game is difficult to, to, to call. I think Michigan's going to be very competitive. Ultimately, I think Ohio State will win because Ohio State has a better roster. And I always go with the team with a better roster. But if Michigan were to rise up and actually win a game and make it a rivalry, that wouldn't completely shock me. Either way, it's going to be a fantastic game, and this is Michigan Week. Death to Ann Arbor Community College. Go Bucks! Paragon 7 Studios.
Studio. Studio. 